the Bain Free Radio Hour. On the podcast, Dark Matter and Dark Energy Injured in Donnybrook Over the Emperor's New Clothes. April books are busting loose toward the booksellers, though hell should bar the way. Plus, we continue with the complete audiobook serialization of Alliance of Equals by Sharon Lee and Steve Miller, all right now. Welcome to the Bain Free Radio Hour podcast. It's an honor to have you along. I'm Bain Senior Editor Tony Daniel. This time we have an interview with David Drake on his new Republic of Cinnabar science fiction novel, Though Hell Should Bar the Way. This is an interesting entry in the series where we get to see the redoubtable Captain Leary and implacable librarian and intelligence op Adele Mundy from a completely new perspective. This will be part one of a two-part interview Dave did in studio with us, so hold on to your hats for that. And we continue with the complete audiobook serialization of Sharon Lee and Steve Miller's Leaden Universe novel, Alliance of Equals. Now here's the news. Yes, 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 the April hardcovers are at the gate, ready to go, go, go. First through, there's Though Hell Should Bar the Way by David Drake. We'll talk to Dave in a moment all about that one. From wealth and power to poverty and insults. Roy O'Filtry planned to be an officer in the Republic of Cinnabar Navy, but his father was unmasked as a white-collar criminal, and he had to take whatever he was offered. What is offered turns out to be the chance to accompany Captain Daniel Leary and Lady Adele Mundy as they go off to start a war that will put Roy at the sharp end. The action doesn't slow, nor can Roy, but Captain Leary is given a chance to Roy, and Roy is determined to make the most of it, though hell should bar the way. Also out in April is Witchy Winter by D.J. Butler. Toil and trouble, Sarah Calhoun paid a hard price for her entry onto the stage of the Empire's politics, but she survived. Now she rides north into the Ohio and her father's kingdom, Cahokia. To win the Serpent Throne, she'll have to defeat seven other candidates, win over the kingdom's regent, and learn the will of a hidden goddess while mastering her people's inscrutable ways and watching her own back. Though hell should bar the way in Witchy Winter, are both available in April at booksellers everywhere. This is part one of a two-part interview with David Drake discussing RCN entry, Though Hell Should Bar the Way. Part two will be available on next week's podcast. I want to welcome David Drake to the podcast. Hello, David. He's actually here. In studio. I am. Hello, world, or main world. Yeah. Uh, David Drake was attending Duke Law School when he was drafted. He served the next two years in the Army, spending 1970 as an enlisted interrogator with the 11th Armored Cavalry in Vietnam and Cambodia. Completed his law degree at Duke and was for eight years assistant town attorney for Chapel Hill, North Carolina. He still lives nearby. He has been a full-time freelance writer since 1981. His books include the genre-defining and best-selling Hammer Slammer series and the nationally best-selling RCN series, including The Road of Danger, The Sea Without a Shore, Death Sprite Day, and Though Hell Should Bar the Way, which is the, the new one that's going to be at booksellers everywhere. That is at booksellers everywhere, as you are listening to this. We um, hope. Yes. 
We're a little bit in the past of when you'll be hearing this, but uh, it'll be there. It'll be there the first Tuesday of April. Um, and uh, Davis just generally, uh, as he was reminding me yet again, it's been oh. around since the beginning of Bane. <laughs> um, I actually before the beginning of Bane, I, I was I got a phone call from Jim Bain, who had just gotten a phone call from Simon and Schuster, saying that they wanted to meet with him to talk about starting a new science fiction line since the Timescape line had crashed so completely for them. And they had fired Dave Hartwell, so they wanted to hire Jim. And uh, that was the genesis of Bain. Was that, uh, that was the beginning of the fact that Bain is an independent publishing company? Uh, well, Tom Doherty was in Jim's office at the time the call came in. And Jim put it on speakerphone so that, you know, Tom could listen also. And at the end of the conversation, Jim hung up his line and Tom said to him, you don't want to work for those people. And in fact, Jim didn't. And Tom came up with an alternative, which was to create a new company which Simon and Schuster would distribute, and that is Bain Books. We've been in that that relationship since then. Since 1983. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, was uh, let's see now. So Jim was at tour. Yes, he was. I mean, Jim and Tom were tour at the time. Right? Uh, that's that's the, and Tom had been the head of science fiction at Ace. He'd left. And started a new company, Tor, and hired two of his editors from Ace, uh, Harriet McDougall and Jim Bain. And Harriet, um, you know, moved back to South Carolina. But uh, that was the beginning of Tor Books. And uh, two years later, three years later, really, when Timescape had crashed, Bane rose from its ashes. Cool. You've done many series. Um, <laughs> Still working, Tony. Yeah, yeah. And now we're on. What is this? Uh, what is though? Hell should bar the way. Would we eight book eight or? I think it's closer to eleven. Eleven. But in the uh, RCN series. Yeah. It. These are fun. Yeah. It's uh, maybe. Before we, we get into the book, um, is it apocryphal or true that um, Jim was reading the uh, Aubrey Maturin uh, that's absolutely books true. of uh, Patrick O'Brien? Ab- that's absolutely true. The The copies of the books, of, of his books, are there on the bookshelf right here in the office within 20 feet of us now. And he was a huge fan of them. So was Gordy Dixon, as a matter of fact, separately. And uh, Jim kept trying to get me to read them. And I finally said, all right, I'll try one. And did. And by God, they were just as good as he said they were. So I got into the series also. And while I was doing that, it occurred to me that the um, there have been a lot of science fiction takes on the Hornblower series by Forrester. But there hadn't been anybody doing the Aubrey Matterin series, which are really buddy 
novels and using two different viewpoints, which gives you a, a really different feel. So I'd said to Jim, hey, what about me doing a series using the Aubrey Matteron books as a model? And he said, great. And um, about that time, Dave Weber started doing, you know, the, the Honor Harrington series had taken off. And Dave some, some hornblower knockoff thing. Ah, uh, yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but in the course of it, um, Dave decided to do a shared universe on the uh, horn on the Honor Harrington series, and asked me to do a story for it. And I thought, well, this might be a chance to see just how a buddy story of this sort would work in a, in a space opera context. So I wrote a story for Dave Weber using uh, a mismatched pair of characters. And it, it really worked quite well. Uh, what I didn't try to do was get all Dave's jargon and... As I said to him, I don't think the world will be a better place if I try to bone up on your fantasy physics. I think it is better for me to do a story and you to change anything that doesn't fit your universe. Is that okay with you? I said, yeah, that was fine. Um, after the fact, I've found that a, a number of Honor Harrington fans know the series much better than Dave apparently knew it himself and object to points of my story, which is absolutely their right. Um, so it wasn't canon. Apparently not. And and that that's okay. Uh, it was okay with Dave, but it was not all right with true Honor Harrington cognoscenti. Shenty. But... Um, I, I did a novella for Dave. It's 26,000 words. And the main thing I realized from it was this would work, but uh, I needed more than 26,000 words to do it right, which wasn't a problem if I was going to be writing novels. So I did not use those characters ever again. You know, they were done for Dave Weber's series entirely. Uh, but I used a different pair uh, with different aspects, and um, that's where the RCN series came from. And it's the Republic of Cinnabar Navy. Yes. Uh, series. It is a republic, not a kingdom. It is not, yeah. The, um, and your main characters are Daniel Leary and, and Adele Mundy. That's correct. And Daniel is a captain. A naval officer. A naval officer. Well, he's a Commodore now at this point. You know, uh, well, he became a Commodore, but uh, actually I think he's, uh, in this one I think he shows up as an admiral. Hmm. But uh, I'm, I'm basically using, my intention all along was to use mid-18th century Royal Navy terminology and such. And you didn't have 
all the intermediate ranks that you do nowadays. Mm. Uh, a captain was a captain was a captain, but he was paid according to the size of the ship he was commanding. Uh, I wound up mainly because fans prodded me and I foolishly gave into it uh, to organize things to a degree more along the lines of the modern U.S. Navy, or for that matter, modern Royal Navy. But uh, the intention was amid a 1740s Royal Navy. Hmm. Well, there is, um, there's a lot of, it's not exactly analogous, but there's a lot of stuff that, that, that you've, that are metaphorically similar, cat spars and, uh, and cables and such that, that have different functions in the, uh, in the RCN books than they would on a you know sailing ship, but there's a lot of uh, shared terminology that I find, yeah, <laughs> uh, especially and and the Matrix even itself has a sea like quality to it, doesn't? That it? was That's... absolutely my intention. I I wanted to do science fiction that had the feel of a really good 18th century sailing novel, and you know if I'm making up my physics and I am. Uh, I can do I really that. wish it would work because it's cool. Well, <laughs> that, that's it. Uh, it. When I was writing the Hammer Slammer series, um, I put a lot of stuff in, and I get emails from people, oh, look, this, this thing you predicted, they're doing it now. And, and they are, um, you know, shooting down missiles with uh, point defense cannon, for example. But um, I did it not as prediction, but, you know, I'd, I'd been out with armored companies. Yeah, well, you were in tanks. Yeah, I was. I was. And more, more often in Vietnam, I was on tanks. Mm. But um, I was putting in the stuff that sure would have made our life better. Uh, I, I'm not an engineer. I wasn't explaining how it worked. I sure as hell knew that something like that was needed. <laughs> and uh, apparently enough other people who'd been at the sharp end started talking to the folks in ordnance. And they're, since then, they have been... Uh, putting that stuff on, because the, there are real engineers, and if you just tell them what you need, uh, they can do it. I mean, there's there's some really marvelous people out there, but they need to be guided by folks who've been at the sharp end, and that doesn't seem to be the norm, I'm afraid. Um, so I, I was just telling stories myself, but I'm I'm glad they're getting some of that stuff in now. Darn yeah. right. Well, maybe they read your books. <laughs> <laughs> well, how would I do that? <laughs> well, that's it. That's if you don't, if an engineer doesn't know what you need, he probably isn't going to give it to you. But if you tell him what you need, he or some of his buddies can probably come up with something that works. Well, the Matrix is uh, Sponge Space. Yes, Sponge mm. Space. Uh, yeah, had, 
I love the way you describe it uh, throughout the series, and particularly have a really nice description here because um, our our main character here, who's who's um, perhaps talk about him in a moment, but he spends a lot of time outside the ship in this um, because he's uh, he's a lower rank and he has to do a lot of work out there. Yeah, he's a grunt. Um, and uh, so you get you spend a lot of time sort of describing the 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 bubbles of universes and such it's uh, can you give us some idea of how you imagine it or you do you not imagine it and just sort of uh basically you can't probably <laughs> exceed the speed of light and the speed of light is a constant in the universe but it isn't the same constant in every universe and I'm assuming that you can pick the universe you want to be in and tailor your course to whatever is most efficient for what you want to do, where you want to go. So you're switching bubble universes as you go along. And... um, you know, <laughs> I'm I'm using sails that uh, impinge on, um, oh, blocking on the name, something radiation. Uh, Casimir. Casimir radiation, yes, uh, which is real and which appears, in fact, to uh, be a constant throughout all universes. And... Uh, just using that as your motive force, not to create velocity, but to create vectors. And, um, you know, you put all the velocity in, in normal space and you adjust that velocity by adjusting your universe. Um, it, not only am I not an engineer, I'm not a physicist. But this is the sort of thing which I'm told by physicists might work. Uh, I'm I'm telling stories. You know, that's my job. I tell stories. It's pretty cool. And uh, someone like uh, your Captain uh, Mundy, uh, I mean Captain Larry, is um, he's able to sort of have a second uh, sixth sense about traveling through this space. He's so so good at it. Yeah, Uh, Uh, they're they're captains who did literally sense the wind uh they'd know six hours early uh when a squall squall was coming up or the like and there's no possible way they could have done that according you know they did i mean and and it's on record they did Mm. um and uh daniel leary is just really good at plotting courses the other thing about um, the matrix space, the sponge space of your of your books, is that if you stay in there too long, you start to perhaps go a little insane. Um, yep. <laughs> or at least you start seeing things. Yeah, Some you're people. you're seeing things that. And that seems like a very oceanic sort of. Uh, yeah. Well, anytime you've got people in isolation for a long time, you get odd stuff. I mean, you know, talk to. You know, people who've been in solitary for 23 years, this sort of thing. 
uh, you, yes, um, being isolated is definitely a disorienting thing, and how the disorientation comes out depends on the individual. Yeah, and they, it, there's a there's a great uh, segment which would be too much of a spoiler <laughs> in here, uh, where uh, our main character suddenly realizes that he's been somewhere else for four days. It seems. Yeah. Or so. Um, and darn good because that's the only way he was going to get the work done. Yeah, yeah. He's essentially become part of a ship. Mm -hmm. He's he's melded. He's become as one with his with his um, with his ship um, in the way that captains perhaps do or did or describe themselves. Mm. At least the way authors describe captains as doing. You know, mm. so. Yeah. Well. <laughs> so let, well, let's talk about Roy Ophaltree, um, who is the main character. This is a you know, when when somebody does a TV show within a normal, and they do a, a different odd viewpoint show, they call it off-concept. This is sort of a off-concept episode of the RCN series, uh, isn't it? It is. Uh, I had done a lot of books from the same viewpoint characters. I, and we're not sure how many, but it may well have been ten. Um, and I wanted to shake things up, not so much for the readers as for myself. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I did not, I do not want ever to tell the same story over and over again, or even over again. And, um, uh, so I decided one way of changing things up would be to use the same milieu, but use a different viewpoint character. And for the hell of it, I used a single viewpoint character instead of two, as I had been doing in the past. <coughs> and I uh, told it first person, which I also hadn't been doing, but uh, decided to do. And um, yeah, it... I, I, I'm not doing this for readers or reviewers. I'm doing it for myself. I'm trying to keep myself from getting stale. Mm -hmm. And um, it also permitted me to give an outside viewpoint on the milieu that I've been in for the previous 10 books and the reader's been in for the pre previous 10 books. Uh and the viewpoint characters, you know, Leary and Mundy, are absolutely the heroes, no question. But that's seen through their eyes. Uh, they run over an awful lot of people in the course of those books, and mostly they're bad guys, or anyway, they think they're bad guys. But it occurred to me from the outside, it might not really look that way uh you know the <laughs> they are a couple of loose cannons and um you know seen from close up but not as part of them and part of the existing structure um well that's that's another way of looking at things so uh, i had a lot of fun with that 
Yeah, you also are able to see all, all these other characters you've developed from a different point of view from from Larry Mundy's, which is kind of fun. The, yes, uh, the the bosun. Uh, yeah, um, and Voichens. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I, and, and I did a Voichens story for you for the uh, for the website. Oh, excellent! Yeah, I like her. Yeah, She's well, cool. she she is the viewpoint character. <clears throat> you asked me to do a story. Uh, linked to this novel. Yeah, that will be out uh, March fifteenth. So. Well, it um, I uh, or that will that is now up at the website <laughs> as of March fifteenth, right. <laughs> and we will all see it then yeah. <laughs> or have seen it. Uh, but I I used her. Yeah, read the story. Uh, but I I did a story about Voichens a decade before the RCN series begins. And, um, you know, it's seen from her viewpoint. Cool. Young voices. Yeah. Usually I don't really uh, have to edit your stuff. So <laughs> I'm, I'm glad wait. to see that because I'd probably get pretty pissed. Uh, wait until the last minute before I, I get it read because really all we got to do is put it up. But anyway, <laughs> you know, basically read it in order to write a intro. Well, uh, I for the newsletter. <laughs> if, if if I do my job right, then the editor should not have anything else to do. Yeah. And my feeling is that if you've got an author that you can't trust to do the job right, hire somebody else instead. Mm. That's me. <laughs> uh, well, if things get turned in in different states of completion. Let's put it in yours are 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 ripe. <laughs> they don't have to sit on the me and or, Paul Masson. Yeah, that's right. It's time has come, and it's time we'll be here on the fifteenth. So, um, Ophaltree also, but he, while um, this also gives you an opportunity to show Daniel and Estelle and Adele as as being more heroic than they. Sh- think of themselves as well, because he really, or more um, perhaps mythological, because he really, um, you know, they're they're legendary to him. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. And they're, they're quite the characters to him. It's like, it's like someone has stepped out of a, out of a, a legend and asked him to be on his ship and saved his ass too. Where, where does uh, Daniel drag Roy Ophaltree from, but? Uh, well... We should maybe set up the beginning of the book. Yeah, that's, um, Olfitri. 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 But, but, hey, I, I, listen, (laughs) the drill sergeant calls him anything he damn well pleases, and you can too. The Um, readers can certainly (laughs) choose their inner voices, I guess. (laughs) But, um, his father had been a wealthy supplier to the RCN, who turns out to have been a major crook. And uh, so when his father shoots himself ahead of being jailed, uh, Roy drops out of the RCN Academy and um, is kicking around taking any work he can get, which, because his father has been disgraced for stealing the Navy blind, uh, is a more limited series of choices than would have been based on simply his qualifications as a 
19-year-old with considerable useful training. So he is hired. He is, he is currently out of work and is hired because he happens to run into an old girlfriend of his late brother's who has since then married Captain Leary, which, you know, Roy doesn't know. Um, and uh, so he's gotten a break. But on the other hand, his qualifications were better than swamping out a bar or the equivalent in an outfitter shop. So, And they need, um, they are... On a, it's not a exactly a private mission, but it's it's a, it's a, and it's not exactly covert because they're going as themselves. But it's a, it's not a RCN sanction. They are carrying a diplomatic mission to the back of beyond, uh, and it's an all RCN crew, but they're all hired on individually as civilians, lay spacers. So this it, gives Daniel his opportunity to give Roy his uh, moment of redemption, at least chance at redemption. Yeah. After, uh, yeah, uh, the disgrace and the. You know, he's he's getting a chance to be a junior officer, basically a midshipman, under the most famous and successful captain in the RCN, uh, in an unofficial mission. And um, so Roy is getting a chance to fall on his face. And, and that's fine. I mean, somebody was going to be in that slot, and it was going to be a junior slot. So why not give it to a, uh, a, a brother of a friend of your wife's? Daniel, a late friend of your wife's. Daniel does observe him uh, uh, st- sticking up to, for himself rather rather well at the beginning. He's not a uh, ineffectual guy. He he, he uh, his boss at the, is like riding him to be less than to do something kind of shady, and he won't do it. Is that the, yeah? I think yeah yeah. So he's uh, Daniel, being the great judge of character, he, he is. Because he's the hero. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, Daniel has very little to lose. Yeah. And well, he he makes a good choice because Roy does turn out to be an incredibly winning young young man to follow. Um, he's just a good guy, really, isn't yeah. he? Yeah. I mean, uh, and he's he's a different sort of character from either Leary or Mundy, uh, or for that matter, any of the uh, the side characters I've been using. That is part one of a two-part interview with David Drake, discussing RCN entry, though hell should bar the way. Part two will be available on next week's podcast. This is another entry in Alliance of Equals, a Leaden Universe novel by Sharon Lee and Steve Miller. Beset by the angry remnants of the Department of the Interior, and challenged at every turn by opportunist on their new homeworld of Sherbleek, 
and low on funds, Clan Corville desperately needs to reestablish its position as one of the top trading clans in known space. To this end, master trader Sean Yosgalen and Corville's premier trade ship, Dutiful Passage, is on a mission to establish new business associations and to build a strong primary route that links well with existing loops and secondary routes. But re-establishing trade and preserving the lives of the few remaining members of the clan aren't all of Corval's problem. Matters come to a head as Dutiful Passage, accustomed to being welcomed and feeded at those ports on its call list, finds itself denied docking and blacklisting while agents of the DOI mount an armed attacks on others of Corval's traders under the very eyes of port security systems. Traveling with dutiful trader on this unsettling journey is Patty O'Scalen, the master trader's heir and his apprentice. Patty is eager to make up for time lost due to Corval's unpleasantness with the Department of the Interior, but she is also keeping a secret so intense that her coming of age and perhaps her very life is threatened by it. And here is the latest entry in Sharon Lee and Steve Miller's Alliance of Equals. Chapter 27 Admiral Bunter Tolly, I have a question. Caught in the act of making tea, he glanced toward the galley's ceiling. I've got a pallet load of questions my own self, he said conversationally. Life's a questionable affair, no denying. There was a pause. He finished the transfer from pot to mug, whistling lightly. I wish to ask my question of you, Admiral Bunter said, sounding a little surprised. May I do so? Well now, there's a conundrum, he said, leaning his hip against the counter. Did the two of us ever talk about Melanti? We talked about role models and chains of command. I have access to anthropology texts. Compare and contrast indicates that Melanti is a Leiden cultural artifact comparable to chain of command, entwined with individual honor. Hmm, he had a sip of tea. That's a good first approximation, he said eventually. I do remember we talked about approximations and how dangerous it is to make assumptions cross-culture. Melanti now, chain of command. He shrugged, frowning down at the floor for a second before he looked back up to the ceiling. You could start thinking about Melanti that way, so long as you remember that the chain and command too can be the same individual. Also, one person's Melanti can interact with another person's Melanti. Has to, in fact. Then there's group Melanti. And like you said, it's all tied up in honor, by which I mean right action. Personal and group. And also, Melanti itself has honor that can be tarnished or even broken by wrong action. Another pause. Tali sipped tea. This does not appear to be a very useful concept, Admiral Bunter said. It is too broad, and it lacks ease of use. No, now that's where you're wrong. 
Melantes, one of the most useful tools in the whole toolbox. Once you get the hang of it. Most Terrans don't bother. Well, there of your mind is all it is. Too confusing, hard to apply. Why make simple things complex? I can see their point, but here's what I like about Melanti personally. He paused to sip his tea, then looked up to smile at the ceiling. What I like about Melanti particularly is how easy it makes sorting out complex situations. Me, for instance. I've got a complex Melanti, just like everybody does. I'm a manufactured human, a thing that's not supposed to exist, by law, just like your AIs. Case you're interested, the law I'm a violation of is the Free Gene and Manumitted Human Act. So, Melanti-wise, I'm an outlawed thing, a specialist in the field of the training and socialization of autonomous, sentient, self-aware intelligences, an autonomous, individual person, an industrial spy, an assassin, a person who has been a prisoner and forced to do that which he did not agree to, and a person who has escaped his imprisonment several times. He sipped again, turned to refresh the mug from the pot, and came back into his lean, looking casually up at the ceiling. Now, regarding the current situation and the asking of questions, Part of my Melanti lately has been mentor to Admiral Bunter. In that capacity, I'm pleased to answer your questions. But right now, my Melanti is prisoner being conveyed against my will. And though you've been my student, your Melanti right now is as my jailer. So what we need to figure out is from what Melanti may I most rightly act in the case. As a prisoner, I've got no obligation to answer my jailer's questions. Of course, my jailer can try to compel me to answer questions, but I'll just let you know here that I've had a lot of practice being stubborn and compelling can get a little sketchy, unless you've got a natural aptitude. I could choose to ignore our present relative Melantes in favor of our past relative Melantes of student and teacher. Might do that for any one of a number of reasons. Whim, fondness, an expectation that calling to mind a previous, more pleasant relationship might play to my advantage, that kind of thing. He sipped tea and turned to set the mug on the counter. It's a tough one to call, I'll give you that. What do you think? Am I your mentor, or am I your prisoner? There was scarcely a pause between question and answer. Can you not be both? The admiral asked, sounding impatient. Tolly tipped his head to the right, like he was giving the question some thought, then tisked. That's an interesting suggestion. And there are situations where a single person can act from two closely aligned Melantes, but, you know, I don't think this is one of them. Admiral Bunter was silent. Tolly let the silence stretch a bit, and then a bit longer, before he sighed and pushed away from the counter. Well, 
the best I can figure it, taking all the factors into account, is prisoner being transported is the most compelling of my various melantes right at present, since it could very easily result in my death. That being so, I'm under no obligation to answer my jailer's questions. How will I learn? the admiral asked plaintively. Tolly eased away from his lean against the counter, picked up his mug, and walked out of the galley. Paddy returned to the suite's common room, showered, refreshed, and a bit somber. She had placed her trading clothes into the press to be cleaned and made ready for the morrow, and had put on soft pants and a sweater. Father was before her in the common room. He had showered too, his hair was still damp and star bright in contrast to his black sweater. I spoke to Priscilla, he said, as she returned to her chair by the window. She extends her congratulations to you, the host of a most promising crush, and hopes that this is the first of many such successful events. Paddy smiled. Priscilla never spoke in such rolling flourishes as father inevitably gave to her messages. Very likely, she had actually said something on the order of, please tell Patty that I'm happy for her success, which father, of course, would find a bit thin. It's very kind of her, she said, though at present I find myself being pleased that the first has been accomplished rather than anticipating a second. Perfectly natural, father said solemnly. Tomorrow is soon enough to begin planning your next conquest. He paused. I took the liberty of refreshing your glass. I propose to get over the ground that remains between us as lightly and as quickly as possible, my child. I hope we shall come to a mutually favorable agreement and a plan for forward progress. The proposition appealed, Paddy thought, especially the quickly part. She took up her glass for a sip of wine and sighed. She was not tired, not exactly tired. It was as though the storm of emotion she had succumbed to in the last hour had washed everything out of her head, including the headache. The result was a peculiar sort of emptiness. She had wondered in the shower if father had something to do with this sensation of being drained dry. A healer was supposed to ask permission before undertaking a healing, though she supposed that, just as there were certain piloting procedures that were always to be followed but sometimes weren't, that sometimes healers didn't ask before undertaking a healing. Besides, if one wished to be technical, he had asked if he might help with her headache at the happy occasion. Father tasted his wine and put the glass aside. His face was very serious, and when he spoke, it was without any of his usual embroidery. Indeed, he seemed very nearly as plain-spoken as Priscilla. I must explain some few matters to you, 
before we plan together how best to go on. I will do this as succinctly as possible. If there is a point upon which you are unclear, you will please ask me to elaborate. You must be fully informed in this. Am I plain? Yes, father. He closed his eyes briefly. When he opened them, they shone like true silver. The first thing you must know is that you cannot resist your nature. You may choose to reside in ignorance, or you may choose to prepare yourself. Those are the choices that are open to you, only those. The obstinate and debilitating headache, the sudden apprehension of the emotions of some of those around you, those are very clear indications that your gift is ready to unfold. Short of death, you cannot deny that unfolding. It is inevitable. I am not simply telling you this because I wish my heir to be a healer. I am telling you this as your parent, as your master trader, and as your elder in the craft, because it is true. You can no more choose not to be of the Dramleys than you can choose to be a clutch turtle. Do you understand me? Paddy took a deep breath and nodded. Yes, father, she said humbly. He smiled slightly. I know that you never wished to be anything but a pilot and a trader of Corval. However it unfolds, this new gift does not diminish you in any way. You will merely acquire, in addition to your skills as a pilot and as a trader, another useful set of abilities. Yes, you will need to accommodate a new melanti and duties, but you are older than six. Nor do you lack for elders to consult should a particularly naughty issue arise. He paused to sip wine. Patty also had recourse to her glass, feeling relief. It was, of course, why one was so very fond of father. He could easily, and with perfect justice, have added just there, if there is any elder whom you trust. He had not done, however, and by omitting that caveat, he told her that her melanti was not in question nor her good sense, and one wished very much to be worthy of his faith. Thus far, father murmured, have you a question or a concern? No, sir, you propose that I accept this additional melanti and the duties which attend it, as I accept my melanti and duties as pilot and trader. It seems a very simple thing, phrased thus, he commented. Merely a continuation of what we already do, every hour of every day. Paddy sipped her wine, lowered the glass. Yes, she said. I have a question, and perhaps also a concern. Father inclined his head. Ask. The headache, it's gone now. The headache is blocked now, father said. My fourth attempt, if you will have it. Your nature is extremely determined. He smiled slightly. This ought to surprise no one. 
She put the glass down and turned somewhat in her chair so that she could see him more clearly. What will happen? She asked, panic nipping at her stomach. When the gift unfolds fully, will I have a headache? Will I be able to hear all the emotions around me all at once? I will, I will tell you that I seem able to make things around me levitate. Will I hurt people, other healers? He held up his hand. These are the questions that we cannot answer. We might have made a better guess, save that you have subverted your gift into this stone sarcophagus. Even lacking such an unusual construct, the onset of a Dramlisa's gift is often sudden and surprising. Sometimes it is violent. When my gift came upon me, one of the kitchen staff had just cut himself rather badly. We screamed at the same instant. The difference between us was that he was quickly taken into care, had his wound tended, and stopped screaming. I, who had no idea what had happened, except that something had hurt me without touching me or leaving a mark, I kept on screaming. Paddy swallowed. I can scarcely be seen to cry out on the trade floor, she said, biting her lip. Can we not forestall it? I believe that we can do exactly that. However, it is for you to choose. He held up his hand, fingers against palm, and only the thumb showing. Choices, he said. We can immediately send you back up to the ship and place you under Lena's care. She will guide you in the birth of your gift. But I will miss the port tour, Paddy cried and bit her lip in earnest. Forgive me, I hadn't meant to interrupt. Father nodded. We were speaking of choices, of which there are two, he said, and again showed her his thumb. The first choice, return to the ship. He extended his index finger. The second choice, riskier, but not, I think, outrageously so. We shall forestall the onset of your talent for only a few days more. In order to do this, I must link to you. The link will allow me to shield you from the random emotions of others and it will allow me to smooth out the growing pressure of your gift. We deny nothing, and if it should seem to me, as the healer who has you in care, that this approach is doing harm, or that your talent will no longer be forestalled, then we will cut the tour short and revert to the first choice. He smiled reassuringly. I believe that we will be able to complete the tour and deliver you to Lena in good order. You said riskier, Paddy said, her voice hoarse. She cleared her throat. What risk? Father looked wry. If your gift should blossom explosively, there is a danger that I will be caught in the explosion rather than being able to remain apart and guide you. 
I consider this possibility to be small. I am not a novice, and I have some backup available to me, should it be needed. He smiled faintly. I believe we have a fair chance of pulling this off in something approaching good order. If you are game to try. I am, she said fiercely, thinking of the port tour and trying to gauge the strength of the walls she had built. She took a breath then, another question occurring. This link, will it keep the headache away? Father's smile grew wider. I believe I am equal to that, yes. Have we an accord then? Yes, she said, and raised her glass in a toast. Sean was going to link with Paddy to shield her, and perhaps to ameliorate whatever happened if her talent came upon her during the tour on World. Alone in her office on the passage, Priscilla closed her eyes. It was perhaps not the best choice of method in terms of absolute safety. However, as she and Sean had agreed when they'd spoken, it was unquestionably the best choice in terms of reconciling Patty to her gift. If she learned immediately that she lost nothing, only gained something precious, that would be one hurdle cleared. As to the danger, Sean was a very able healer in his own right, and if there was need, Priscilla thought, it was very likely that Loot might step forward to assist. Knowing Sean's opinions on Loot, she had not mentioned that as a possibility, but had merely offered to link to him lightly so that he wasn't completely without backup. He'd accepted that, but wished to make the link to Paddy firm first, which was only prudent. She would await his touch. Linking with Paddy had been more difficult than Sean had anticipated. Not that the child had resisted him, but that the damned and damnable construct of hers disrupted what ought to have been a smooth flow of energies. It was no wonder at all that the child was hollow-eyed with weariness. The wonder was that she had managed to persevere and to keep up so well. At last, however, the thing had been done, and she'd gone off like a good child to bed, where she had fallen immediately into the deepest and most healing sleep he could conjure for her. He stood by the window now, looking out over the distant, star-struck mountains, and methodically worked through several relaxation and strengthening exercises. It would be best to recruit himself before he extended a touch to Priscilla. She would be alarmed if she perceived him overtired, and might well argue that the risk was greater than the gain. With, he admitted to himself wryly, some justice on her side. That maiden is going to blossom into a witch to fear, a familiar and not completely unwelcome voice said just behind his shoulder. One hopes that only those with cause will fear her, he said, not turning his head. 
Loot laughed. But it is always so with witches, is it not? Who fears Moonhawk save those who do evil? Sean snorted lightly. And who fears loot? Why, no one fears loot, the other said gently. Who fears a hedge magician or a man? If it pleases you, I freely assert that you are disconcerting, Sean said. Even extremely disconcerting. Thoughtful child, my heart is soothed. In that vein, I would offer advice. Advice? Such as remove to the ship immediately? Oh, but you are not so craven, nor is she. No, you have chosen this path, or it has chosen you. And it is, so far as I can see, as likely as any other leading from this place to the next. No, what I wish to say to you is, links can be broken and hearts can be hid. Remember that when it is time. Certainly, all the situation required was a riddle to... Sean turned from the window to the dim, empty room. Loot? There was no answer. Healer's senses detected Vanner in his room, reading peacefully, Paddy sound asleep in her bed, and no one else at all. Sean sighed, somewhere between amusement and chagrin, closed his eyes, and reached for Priscilla. That was another entry in the complete audiobook serialization of Alliance of Equals by Sharon Lee and Steve Miller. And that's it for the podcast. Thanks to Audible.com and to podcast theme composer Ruth Judkowitz. And the bellow of a mighty star beast calling to say hello across the gulf of stars and pronouncing a Gnostic message of hope, doom, and thanks to David Drake, author of Though Hell Should Bar the Way. Please join us next time here at the hammering heart of science fiction and fantasy... And keep reaching for the stars.